0: Based on the frequency and content of your social media conversations, there's a small laboratory in Pennsylvania that likely knows your gender, can make a good guess at your age, and understands a number of facets about your personality from whether you're introverted or extroverted, agreeable, disagreeable, closed-minded, open-minded, and they're doing this all with machine learning. Now, I don't mean to spook you. These folks are not tapping into other people's social media accounts without their permission. This is a study at the University of Pennsylvania, a body of work led in part by Dr. Lyle Unger, who's at UPenn. Uh, He's a MIT PhD who spent his undergrad at Stanford and now focuses a lot of his work on understanding sentiment and content of social media. Uh, So you'll get an understanding for how they can glean personality information specifically just from social media feeds and tie those to personality traits and how they've been able to do that over the last few years, and what the future of this technology might imply. Everything from allowing you to monitor yourself and your own moods uh, as to, let's say, what types of events make you stop adhering to your diet. Uh, or what kinds of occurrences put you in the worst mood. You might be able to be flagged by your own social media accounts uh, to warn you about those things, to maybe politicians getting an understanding of the effect of their policies on the well-being of different parts of the community that they are uh, managing or setting the policies for. Very interesting technology and a very curious application of machine learning and artificial intelligence that I think you'll enjoy. So without further ado, we'll hop right in with the interview with Lallinger. So, Lyle, the work that that you folks are up to there now in in the computer science department is is teed in with with what Seligman was up to um, at Google Zeitgeist. Um, Explain, kind of, how do you articulate to the generally educated public what you're doing reading behavior and mood via social media? How do we explain that quickly?
1: So, the words that people use on Facebook, on Twitter, on email, tell a huge amount about who they are and what their concerns are. We can tell if people are male or female, young or old, but beyond that, personality. So for example, we have 70,000 people who took a standard personality test, extrovert, introvert, conscientious or not so conscientious, Mm -hmm. agreeable or disagreeable, they answered a bunch of questions and they shared their Facebook posts. And based on the language, then we can correlate, what's the language of a young, agreeable female Uh or a neurotic older man? (laughs) Look at the words that are used in these cases, try and profile people and get a flavor of who they are.
0: Wow, okay, okay. So so you start with that as a baseline. In other words, you, you really get a you know, maybe the big five or whatever yep. personality measurements you guys are leveraging, there's oodles of them. Exactly. Um, I know the Gallup folks are pretty well tied in over there, Penn. Um, so whatever whatever kind of major construct that has proven itself out to, to be relatively reliable over grand swaths of people, get a whole bunch of that data uh, on individuals and then get Everything they got from social media and email and aim to kind of smush those together. And, and when when did that happen? Or is that continuously happening?
1: So email not yet.
0: That's okay, email. just social media, Sorry. just Facebook, Facebook etc. we
1: have and we have people, have seven, I say 70,000 volunteered. We also have Twitter. It's easy to get billions of tweets. Oh, yes. Yeah. We have Can map them back to which US county they came from or which country of the world. And again, we can build profiles now—not personalities of people, but personalities of whole communities.
0: This is fascinating. Okay, so seventy thousand—that's a nice big number, right? We're not talking about seven hundred people or, or seventy right. people sitting down. We got a lot of ages. We've got a lot of different kinds of personalities. Now we can correlate those to different kinds of, of posts and whatnot, and then get a look at what are the personality behavior types, uh, or you know, maybe maybe behavior sets that go along with those personalities of individual counties or one particular social media account or something along these lines. Um, what have you been able to discern thus far with that information? So clearly um, you, you have a, a great baseline, 70,000 folks. Um, now you've got more information than, than almost any, inf- any, any computer can, can drink in, any machine learning program can drink in with as many tweets and Facebook posts and YouTube videos as are going out on a day-to-day basis. Um, what have you been able to sort of nail down uh, in terms of, you know, discernments from sifting through that much info?
1: What we're, we're trying to do now is to correlate that back. We have two thousand people who've shared their whole medical health record with us. They go to the hospital here at the University of Pennsylvania. They we say, would you mind sharing your Facebook if you use it? And we can now look at the language and the personalities associated with certain diseases. Some things are relatively easy not surprisingly the words that people use show yep. a lot if they're depressed or not depressed yep. other things are less obvious what sort of words show up more with um, anemia or diabetes yeah but, but it captures lots about these sort of profiles that there there are lots of demographic groups I'm not talking just educated uneducated black or white all of which are fairly clear from the language but more subtle groups of who are the people who are talking more about tattoos, who are the people talking more about kids, who are the people talking more about partying. And these all correlate with lots of positive things in life, how strong your relationships are, and some negative things in life, how likely you are to end up having trouble with drugs.
0: Huh. And, and, and in, terms of, um, in terms of what you found out that's been curious thus far, I imagine... Uh, sifting through that much information, there must have been some interesting correlations. Maybe some of which is locked away in the secret UPenn files for for quite some time. Which, of course, I, I'll uh, have to you know I don't know wait for when it, that's eventually published. But of in terms of what you've been able to discern thus far, you know, if you found, for example, oh you know we found was really interesting, folks with X you know disease or symptoms or syndrome. Um, tend to do more, why, or tend to engage with social media in, in this somewhat unexpected way. Or, you know, Cincinnati's a really angry city all the time. You know, anything anything curious that's come up that you've already kind of gleaned from, from all this data sifting?
1: The most interesting one to me was we were looking at counties and looking at arteriosclerotic hard, hardening of the arteries. Yeah. And seeing how language varies as a function across the US of, of how many people die from this. And what you find is, first, the obvious things. There's a correlation. More black people tend to die of heart disease, more old people, of course, more males. But once you control for all of that and smoking and diabetes, what you find is that cities and counties with more angry tweets have more people dying of heart disease. That's oh. sort of weird, because the tweeters are mostly in their Younger. Company, the yeah. 30s, and the people dying are mostly in their 70s and 80s, right? Oh. So what am I saying? I'm saying if your neighbor is tweeting a bunch of pissy sort of stuff, your chance of dying of heart disease is higher.
0: It, well, yeah, of course, co- correlation causation, I know what you mean, but it, it seems as though what this may point to, which I think is curious, is... Um, You know, in a place where people are angry more often, then you're you may, in fact, be more stressed out and angry right there along with them. And that may jack up your blood pressure or whatever the other, you know, whatever the cases may be. It's unlikely that the, you know, magical electric pulses from someone tweeting a bunch of four-letter four words, is giving anybody heart disease. But it sounds as though, co- correlation-wise, if you're around a bunch of angry folks, that might be an angry town. angry town might be pretty stressed out. You might take that out with booze or take that out with food or take that out with yelling at somebody. And uh, and and maybe that, you know, again, all of those factors might kind of stack against you when it comes to particular diseases.
1: Precisely. And we, we do know at, at the individual level that men who are angrier are more likely to have Heart attacks is uh-huh. so some causality, partly through blood pressure, partly through inflammation. Got it. That not to be very bad for you. But we also see more details at the county level that counties with people more tweeting about being bored and tired seem to have more mortality from, from heart disease. And those that are tweeting more engagement, excited, um, caring about things seem to have Lower heart disease. Again, I don't have causality. Yeah, yep. all of these big data studies are correlations. Of
0: course, but
1: they suggest their hypothesis generation. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. In 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 a very uh, you know in, in in a in a tangible and I think rather important sense. Uh, certainly a rather interesting sense. So you know so uh, some of this is focused on health. Um, and it sounds as though you know you can pick up on or the the algorithms that you guys are working with now probably if you get access to somebody's whole stream of like the last year's worth of tweets or do you is it just twitter that you have access to or facebook as well
1: so we have twitter from we have 10 billion tweets that's These, easy yeah. to get facebook we have to ask people permission to share okay but nice. we do have thousands tens of thousands of people who have shared their facebook and the facebook is nice because we then know who it is and they share other information they take personality tests they share their mm-hmm. medical records we could
0: ask
1: them uh, questionnaires.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. So we use both of them. Okay. But you have more more uh, breadth with your Twitter data, of course, because it's just a, 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 a huge, you know, completely publicly accessible across the board. Yes. And yeah. I imagine as you get more and more folks to take the personality tests and also share their Facebook accounts um, in this data set, you'll be able to add that richness in there. Because I, I, I do believe, I, I think – you know, you get a different age skew, you get a different kind of expression that you would do on Facebook than you would on Twitter, et cetera. Um, so it probably adds another interesting level of richness and complexity to what you're up to. It sounds as though you, you had spoken a little bit about the, um, taking a look at health and correlation to particular activity and patterns and, and emotionality in social media uh, engagement. Um, what other domains have, have you focused on In addition to that, anything around other kinds of behavior that that you found some interesting correlations with that you can share?
1: One of the interesting ones on personality is look at neuroticism. Mm. Being neurotic is no fun. The world is crappy and miserable and you hate things. But the opposite side of well-adjusted people is less well-understood. And we looked at the words people used and we saw, first of all, lots of discussion of religion, which is no surprise in general in the U.S., religious people. They're slightly more agreeable. It's pretty good they have better relationships.
0: Yeah, but I think other, Yeah, that's interesting. Anyway, go ahead.
1: But the other thing we saw that the psychologists hadn't thought about was that the non neurotic, that's the well adjusted Americans, were talking a lot about sports. Now at some level that's fine. People it's both sports you do and sports you watch. But it's funny if you look at psychology textbooks, they don't talk a lot about sports even though that's a huge part of the human experience. Yep. And something which I think is underrepresented. Doctors will prescribe exercise. We know that exercise is good for you physically and emotionally. Yep. Yeah. If, if you're depressed, a good thing to do is go out for a run. But I've never heard of a doctor saying, go over with your friends and watch the football game. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, you don't hear that. That's very interesting. So, So you're saying... Uh, On the scale of it, if we're talking about neurotic, neurotic, I don't don't know. Is that somewhere in the big five? Is there an Uh, opposite uh, of that that's a virtue? The big
1: five is neurotic, or anti-neurotic is called well-adjusted. Well-adjusted. Okay,
0: got it. So we have our continuum of well-adjusted to to neurotic. Your neurotic folks, what you're mentioning is, interestingly enough, tend to uh, not reference sports and your folks that are well adjusted tend to talk about sports more. So when you're talking more about sports you're you're likely you're more likely to be pushed closer to the well adjusted side of things. Right. Seemingly. Okay, very interesting. Now, you know, you wonder about this, right? Uh, you know, is it is it the is it the exercise that is kind of getting it done um or you had mentioned it's also the sports you watch. Is it the socializing that's getting it done? In other words, is it sport? Is there something about the magic of basketball or hockey or what have you or is it, hey, relatedness, uh, fulfillment points go up. Hey, physical activity, health points go up. Um, is, it, is it those two or, or is it even separate from, from those factors potentially? I mean, how, how do you sift well, through all that?
1: Probably both. Again, the curse of big data, what do you get, hypotheses, mm-hmm. correlation. What we see is the sports mentioned are both the Celtics and the Bruins and the Yankees. So there are things which you're probably not mostly participating in, yep. but you're watching. And there's things like snowboarding and tennis, which you're probably playing. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's probably both. How interesting. And now someone needs to run some clinical trials. Prescribe watching sports versus, I don't know what the control yeah, is.
0: Yeah, wow. Very interesting. See if
1: it makes a difference. And
0: you had mentioned religion as well. So the, the quote-unquote well-adjusted folks are uh, have, have a little bit more religious sentiment
1: here? Yes, on average. Okay, yep. And Your mileage may differ. I'm not claiming... But we we know in America in particular that religious people have much stronger communities on average. Yeah you can ask for if someone's starting as a freshman in college, one good predictor of their overall flourishing is if you ended up in the hospital, how many people could you call that would come and visit you? And if you have a church or a synagogue are typically a bunch of people that you can lean on. Yeah it's a social commitment. Interestingly in Europe and I talked to my friends from Russia or China, and they're going, church? What church? Yeah. it's not it, the core of their social
0: media. No, it's it's not. You know, it, it's fascinating to me because, you know, I, I remember going through uh, the, the program, the, the Masters in Positive Psych at UPenn, um, with Seligman, who's now working with you on this project, that um, they had mentioned, on average, religious folks in America tend to be a little bit happier than not religious folks. And then you go to the Netherlands, where religion is not the norm. And you find that on average, uh, non-religious folks are a little bit happier than religious folks. Exactly. So it's sort of, you know, it's curious, this whole notion of well-adjusted, well-adjusted might just be, how similar are you to the folks that you bumble into? And are you congenial with their notions and beliefs or not? So in, in some sense, it may not be religion as is it's, it's what religion correlates to, or how well you now fit into the rest of the community. Very, very curious stuff. So, okay. So you've been able to find some of those correlations as, as well. Um, and that's that's a that's a lot of, of computing power dedicated to this kind of stuff. What kind of equipment and 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 staff do you guys need to, to pound through as much data as you are today?
1: So the the computing in some sense is fairly simple. We have a Hadoop cluster, so we've got a bunch of machines. The hard part is to take billions of tweets and pull the words out of them. Yeah. And finding what's a word. Um, and we include everything as a word which are emoticons, a word, and individual words are mostly not words either. Sick is not the same as sick of, and merry Christmas is not the same as merry. Yeah. So we have to actually find sets of words that make some sense, group those together. So we have these these clusters of machines that that process things. Once we ground it down to say, okay, take the 3,000 most populous counties and the 40,000 most common words... That's, I hate to say it, a fairly small data set.
0: Wow. That I can run
1: on a fairly small machine, and so we have a have five staff that are programmers, statisticians, and five or six psychologists and computer scientists. The hard part's looking at it, trying to make sense of it, yeah. interpreting what's going on. So in some sense, the data collection is relatively easy. The hard part also is collecting. If you want to have Facebook, everybody has to give permission. Yep, yep. but that's so, that's
0: definitely some footwork. Some
1: um, footwork. We have a bunch of medical students, you're going to the ER at 10, someone will come up to you and say, Excuse me, Dan, um, you've been triaged, you'll be sitting here for a while. Do you use Facebook or Twitter? That's wonderful. I have an iPad right here with all your medical records on it. Would you be willing to just log in and, and let us? We have your Facebook account for the purposes of science we'll keep it all private of course and never share it with anybody could be cross-linked with your medical record. So a lot of the work uh, is actually collecting the data getting permission, yeah. making sure it's informed consent that people actually know what they're sharing yep
0: yep uh, that's that's yeah that, that's a, that's a tough part. Um, of course, I'm also pondering here do you in terms of making sense of all those words that's as you had mentioned, you know, really scratching your chin and figuring out what's a word and, and when these two words are together, what should we have that represent? And when this is added to the end, should it represent something different? That seems like an almost incalculable kind of concern if you're doing a lot of things onesie z, Was it done in the in the same sense that and I'm I'm not a As you can tell, I'm not a machine learning expert by training in any way, shape, or form. We've talked to a lot of smart folks here. Is it done in some sense how machine vision is, where you have someone manually kind of tag and sort through a certain percentage of things, and you train the machine, see how well the machine does on a number of different sets, and kind of tweak its algorithm and its decision-making, and feed it more data and see how well it pumps it out, and kind of come up with something that you're satisfied with after you're kind of training the net? Is it it similar in that, in the way that they, no, it's not. Half yes and half no. Half yes, half. Okay, explain. So the half yes
1: is we have a whole bunch of people at Mechanical Turk and we give them some tweets and say, is this optimistic or pessimistic? Is this an example of a good relationship or is this an example of someone feeling accomplishment or failure? Ah. So we have many sets of 10,000s of tweets being labeled by humans. Got and it. Yeah, and classic you... machine learning. We then use statistics and say, well, okay, which words are predictive of optimism or not? So that one is exactly like the machine vision. In fact, we're also starting, of course, social media and Facebook is not just words. People are posting images too, Yes, yes. And so we're now grabbing people's profiles from their Twitter accounts, running machine vision, recognizing automatically, are they smiling or frowning? What color spectrum have they used behind them? How many people are in the photo? Are, are there people? Are people using an avatar or a person? So again, your social media—not just your words—all the images you yeah. submit say something about you. Huh. Hey.
0: And, and in that sense, you are—you know—you get the human squad to do a certain amount of the manual yeah. tagging and flagging, um, so that you can then have the machine make sense of things like that. Um, exactly. And so it, that part
1: is exactly okay. the same. The part that's different is the words. There are too many different sets of words oh, yeah. or combinations of words. You'd like to think that United States of America is a bunch of words, but it's effectively one term, as is Barack Obama. Yeah. And those we don't actually have humans label. We use statistics to say these pairs or triples or quadruples of words show up together more often than you'd expect by chance. And so we use purely uh-huh. statistical algorithms to find these are sets of, of what you'd think of is words that should be together, the Merry Christmas or the Happy Birthday, yeah, or the, the you know, kick the bucket.
0: Uh, yeah, but, got but, no
1: kicking and no bucket. Or hot dog. Uh, a hot dog is not hot, and it's not a dog.
0: No, it's neither of those. Interestingly okay. enough, uh, so that's yeah. And I bet you you found more uh, more euphemisms in that research than you could probably shake a stick at. And I just used one right there. Um,
1: there so, are infinite numbers of them, and of course, it's the web, so people are intentionally misspelling stuff. yep,
0: yep, And now you have both to you have to words. you have to control for that now. So okay, so you have a little bit of both: some manual tagging, and then also some some uh, statistical analyses of of what are sequences that should be recognized as unique units, and and. And then identifying those as as their own deal. That that sounds like a good amount of legwork. Well, in in closing, just because uh, I know that you know you've, you're X number of years into this particular research, there's clearly no lack uh, and, and and no uh, no predicted lack in, in social media activity in in the coming ten years ahead. Um, what are the hopes for where this could take us? What might be possible um, through this kind of um, hypothesis generation with big data that, that you're excited about that could maybe be a really fruitful breakthrough? Where would you hope to get this in, in the decade
1: ahead? I think two levels. At an individual level, I think people will be opting in to say, I want to have the stream of words coming at me and the words I'm producing monitored to see, am I turning certain people off? There's already software out there that will take an email you're sending it to Lyle, make it a little more casual. You're sending it to Dan, make it a little bit formal. Yeah,
0: I've That's seen right? that. That's curious. I, I forget I forget the, uh, the software name, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. So
1: I think those, I think questions of detecting what sort of things for pregnant women, we want to be able to go in and say, do you want to be monitored? We'll check to see whether you might be getting depressed because that happens a lot with pregnant women, postpartum depression, oh. even prepartum. So I think there's a lot of cases where monitoring what things make you happy or unhappy? What things cause you to leave your diet or follow it? There's be a lot of tracking, sort of quantified self-movement. People think a lot about having a nice watch that measures your heartbeat. But I think your heartbeat, although it's informative, is far less informative than the language you're receiving and sending.
0: Huh. So, so you think you'll, in the future, on the individual level, will have folks more excited about... Um, maybe well it's it's almost you know in some sense the quantified self-ish stuff right where you're you're actually gleaning some significantly useful information about yourself over time of course that seems to crisscross a bit and i think there's going to be multiple camps here i'm not in either one of them in any dogmatic way um where other folks are like man yeah i I sort i the nsa is already after me you know why why would i want to uh have everybody and their mother potentially be able to tap in and figure out if i'm depressed or potentially be able to tap in and Figure if I'm cheating, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, there's and the
1: marketing people are doing the same thing. IBM recently released a product very similar to our personality detection. You're a marketer. Don't you want to sell different products to extroverts and introverts? Yeah. Now, that's much more benign than other ones. But it's still very much targeted marketing based on what one can profile about you.
0: Yeah, it, it seems like, um, again, some folks are going to want to learn from all that. Other other people might might be biting their nails as the future arrives here.
1: Absolutely. And the yep. other side I can see is I'd love to have, and this is again Marty Zeligman, and I'd like to have politicians not just say what effect does my decision have on the economy, the GDP, but what effect does my political decision have on the welfare of the people, on the quality of relationships, on whether people feel meaning in life. We know that, for example, unemployment is much more than just economic hardship. It's all sorts of mental hardships. Yeah, yeah. And we know that there are interventions that one can try and make communities come together more. And so I think that in terms of public policy, to be able to measure the well-being of communities and the effects of the many little decisions that are made by companies and governments is going to provide a richer dashboard, a better picture of, in fact, what's happening in the community, rather just than looking at every. Six months. What's the the local economy
0: doing? Got it. Okay. So so the the potential bigger picture here is hey through the various social streams that we have access to and the ones that we may get access to, can we get an aggregate pulse? You know, and of course there's going to be all sorts of ups and downs about the security and yada yada yada. But it, this this seems like a kind of an inexorably uh, positive potential factor here. Um, that uh, c- can we make decisions around and keep a legitimate pulse on? The, the legitimate emotional well-being, the, the stuff that um, traditionally, Lyle, of course, this is what you can't measure. That's why we measure dollars, right? That's why we measure how many people died of these diseases. We got the stuff that we can tag a number next to. We can't, you know, uh, we, we, we can't say how happy a city is right right now in any kind of reliable sense, but through enough correlation and enough um, scientific research to, to, to really put a finger on what that ties to, maybe in the future what you're saying is, We'll be able to get a sense for um, how are we making people feel, how are we tangibly affecting the perceived well-being and maybe even the, the relationships um, of this particular community over a certain span of time, and really be able to, to add fulfillment into the mix of, of kind of political decision-making.
1: Absolutely. And, and I find that I talk to increasing numbers of companies now, and the managers are asking not just are my employees productive, but... Are people stressed out? Are my employees feeling accomplishment? Yeah. you try and do a whole bunch of questionnaires, but they're annoying and time-consuming and (laughs) expensive. Whereas if you can actually monitor the language of your employees, well, it may be intrusive and nasty, or it may be a way to actually say, look at stress levels are getting really high here. Maybe we need to make some interventions. Those things which can be measured are the ones that get controlled, Let's try and measure the things that actually matter, which are first and foremost, I think, people's mental well being.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, experientially and, you know, with the grand utilitarian calculator, we want to factor in sort of the, the utility points and the happiness of, of, of folks, you know, not just measure the bucks. Um, there, there seems to be an kind of, uh, again, a great argument to be able to put some, some tangibility to that, and obviously that's what you guys are chipping away on. So I'll, I'll be rooting for you on that one, um, and, and excited to hear what, what comes out of the lab. We are just about on time here, but I wanted to say a big thanks for joining us here today and sharing your insights on tech emergencies.
1: Thank you so much. It was great. I enjoyed it. That wraps up today's
0: episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives, top researchers, and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category, as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes, or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in and I'll catch you next week.